today. Thank you for bringing us here and uh, being able to come and worship as a group, God. I pray that you speak to James through this lesson and open our hearts so that we can receive a message and take it home and apply it to our lives every day. I pray that you keep us safe going home and the rest of this week. And just Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, good deal. All right, so we're going to start off here in verse number 31. Uh, let's follow along. So we want to finish this chapter. It's jam-packed for sure. So Cammie's going to start us off in verse number 31. Me? Yes. Uh, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of, give her a certificate of divorce. Okay, so in verse number 31, he's going to talk about divorce for about two verses. And he states basically saying, if you want to get a divorce, all you have to do is get what? A certificate of divorce. All right, so that's what he says. This is what they, they've been taught that they can do to get a divorce. Verse number 32, Caden Walls. Okay, but I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. This is really important for you to understand. What ended up happening is they kept twisting the law to make it so that way they could do what they wanted and still say they were right with God. Does that make sense? Hey, I may not have killed anybody, but deep down I'm so frustrated at Dawson. I may not have committed adultery, but deep down I lust all the time. Here he's saying, you have taken the divorcement code that I had for you when it comes to marriage. I brought two together. What they were doing is they would have divorce simply because, one, if the woman stopped looking pretty, you could get a divorce. If she messed up, you can get a divorce. If you didn't like her anymore, you can get a divorce. So what Jesus is saying, listen, you've heard it of old. All you have to do is get that letter of divorce and you can put her away. Does that make sense? Now, we know back in Bible times, I mean, how many rights did the women really have? Zero. Do you know Jesus did more for women than any movement you see today? And you really have to understand that. Y'all following with me? He has done more for women than any movement you see today. So what he was doing here, he's saying, listen, guys, you keep getting divorced for all these frivolous reasons. Whenever you walk the aisle and you said you committed, hey, remember, the commitment is not only to her, it's to me, and you broke the commitment with me also. You have sinned against me. See, we don't view marriage that way. We, we view it as, well, it's just between me and you. No, the covenant is between God. God makes it become one flesh. So if you're getting a divorcement for a frivolous reason or just some escape clause to get out of the commitment or you decide to chase after some other thing that you value now in life, you've, you've sinned. You follow with me? That's what he was trying to do here. So really, this is amazing. This was such a rally cry to women on the Sermon on the Mount. Could you imagine them saying, wow, wait a second. I don't have to look perfect. I can make a mistake. Very important. Very important. Verse number 33. Um, Billy? Again, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not break their oath, but keep the oath you have made with the Lord. Okay, so you heard from long ago. What was he saying? Just basically talking about oaths. And what was about oaths? What about it? Don't break them. Okay, very good. Now, verse number 34. Uh, Kenny? But I tell you not to swear at all, at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne. So what, he, what Jesus is talking about is he said, you guys have taken making oaths a part of your daily lives. Does that make sense? You would make an oath saying, I promise I'm going to do this, or listen, if I don't do this, uh, I'll make sure I make it up. I swear I'm going to do this. That's what he said was happening here. And so in verse number 30, uh, 35, we'll have Courtney, you mind reading that one for us? Nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Okay, so now in verse number 36 also, that would be good. Neither shalt thou swear by the head, because thou cannot make one hair white or black. 
Okay, perfect. Verse number 37, uh, Sandy. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Okay, good deal. I was going to try and explain as we went verse by verse, but it would have been, it's better if we just said all the verses and then came back to it. What he was getting at is simply this. You have no authority to say you're going to do something tomorrow because you don't even allow, you don't, you're not even the person who keeps your heart beating. You get what he was trying to say? He says, you keep making these promises and you keep saying you're going to do things and you need to say, if the Lord will. Because you're under mercy right now. And everything you're doing is from my divine plans for you and my providence. And I'm displaying mercy to you and you keep contradicting mercy by saying, I can do this, I'm going to do that. Instead of saying, if the Lord will, I'll do it. You follow with me? So what's the part? It's very cool if you really, really take it back. When you make an oath saying something about I, 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 you're trying to get the glory. But when you say, if the Lord will, I will do this, only He can get the glory. You see the problem that was arising? So that's what he was getting at. He was saying, listen, you can't even change the color of your hair on your head. Uh, you, don't even, you can't even basically do anything that I can do as God, and you're making oaths and swearing by it. That's what he was getting at there. Again, he's talking about what the old law did. He was basically exposing your old beliefs. And whenever you're here tonight, you might be saying, well, I don't think that whatsoever. But you guys in this room have old beliefs that you've grown up with. And then the question you have to ask is, what does it say in the Bible about those beliefs that you have? Y'all following with me? So that's what we got to backtrack for. Uh, verse number 38. These are some very good verses. We've done a good job so far. Um, Abel, you want to read that for me? Verse number 38. Okay, so now he's going to talk about forgiveness. And this is such a, a big element. Because, man, if there's something we need to understand, it's forgiveness, right? So he says, you've heard it of old. What was the saying of old? An eye for an eye. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. What was he basically saying? Whatever someone does to you, you do it back. Yeah. Whatever someone does to you, you can do it back. One for one ratio. Okay? So now if that's what he says you did in the past, we're going to see now what it really is supposed to mean. Does that make sense? Verse number 39, Connor. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. But whatever, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Okay, now this is actually really, really cool. Yeah, follow along. It says, when it's talking about forgiveness, he says, hitting someone on their right cheek. Is that what it says? So you have to understand, can I get a demonstration? Do I'll do it. Kenny, can you come here? Kenny, Kenny's just right there. Kenny, can you come right here? I know how much all right, Kenny's going to come right here. I want y'all to understand this because I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know this until doing, doing some research on it. And I thought it was really, really cool because it's talking about forgiveness. And like we said, it's very important about forgiveness. Now, it says if they hit you on your what cheek? Right cheek. Okay, typically people are what? Right-handed. So on top of that, when the reference to the right cheek meant a backhand across. And if you hit someone in the backhand during those times, it was also an insult, a downgrade. It wasn't just a physical slap. It was insulting. You ever see in movies all the time, now that you think about it, when they go like this, it's a, it's a downgrade. It's an epic insult. So when he's saying, listen, when someone comes up to you and epically insults who you are as a human being, fall down as I hit you. Stand back up, Kenny. You've heard it of old. You've heard it of old. Kenny should do this, right? But Jesus says, you know what you should do? What about my other chief? Go ahead and hit that one too. The reason this is so, so important 
And if you go forward to Jesus going to the cross, you can sit down for me, Kenny. How important this really is. Yeah, good job, Kenny. What's amazing is this. I can come up here and I can teach something and tomorrow I can get in the flesh and I can not follow what I taught. But Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mount and on the path to the cross as he's backhanded by the guard, stands back up and says, who do you say that I am? Remember? You're following with me? This is very important. When Jesus stood back up, did he say, an eye for an eye? No, what did Jesus say? I go to the cross because the hand that you hit me with is the hand that I want to save. And just by God's providence that you had that hand that hit me, I pray He extends His mercy a little bit longer so I can go on the cross and bear your sins. Are y'all following the importance here of forgiveness? When you deny forgiveness, you deny what Jesus did on the cross for everybody. So we make forgiveness personal. and It's always a big deal. And I'm a big part of that, right? It seems like when someone does something against me, it's an even bigger deal. Y'all, y'all ever notice that? And then if someone were to tell you the exact same story, you're like, get over it. It was a joke. You know stuff like that. That's why it's very important. So a backhanded insult. So what he's doing, he's raising the ante. He's saying it's not just hey, paying back evil for evil. It is saying when they downgrade you to your lowest point, when they insult you, which is amazing because Jesus says if they persecute you and you're in my will, they don't actually persecute you. They persecute who? Christ Jesus. So he says when you take that backhand from anybody, and it might not be a real physical backhand, but it might be someone just simply saying, Avery, you say you're a Christian, but man, I don't know. That hurt. That would hurt. And I'm sure if, if Avery heard that from someone, she'd be like, who do they think they are? But what we're getting at is this. When people insult you and persecute you when you're a part of God's will, you can stand back up and say, hey, they don't persecute me. They're persecuting Christ. And on top of that, what, what, what more can you think? Right? What more can you think? Because it's not no longer whose life? It's no longer yours. Very, very important. Um, we're going to keep going. That's where we're getting at forgiveness. It's very, very important. Verse number 40. Uh, this is great too. If any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. So now he's saying, okay, so someone brings you to court and they sue you and basically saying, I want your what? Your shirt. Your shirt. Okay, he says, go ahead and do what? <laughs> take your coat too, which is amazing because we're going to see in a later reference also. Jesus says, I take care of the sparrow. I'll take care of you. That coat that's on your back, it's not your coat. Don't you remember I said don't swear and don't make an oath? You have no authority in this life. Everything that's been given to you, I gave to you through the Father, a gift of mercy and grace. So when they ask for your coat, if it's in my name, give them your coat. Now, is this sitting here saying every time someone, Nate, comes up to me, hey, can I give a shirt? No. But what it is saying is this. If the coat is causing your testimony and your witness to go down, give up the coat. If your activities in sports causes you to no longer have a witness, give up the sport. If school is too much a priority in your life, give it up. If a significant other is causing you to lose your witness, give it up. If your friend group is causing you to lose your witness, give it up. That's what we're getting at here. Everything that is given in your life here, God has given to you. So really and truly, who's it to give? Yours or God's? Very important. Verse number 41, and whosoever should compel thee. Oh, I don't want to read all the time, so here we go. Uh, Allie, take us a look. This is the fun part, getting y'all to read. Man, we're going fast. Good job. Am I speaking too fast tonight? No. All right, good. Here we go. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. 
Okay, this is last very important to understand context and understand what's going on in biblical times because now we would think National Guard at Walmart telling us, hey, go go a mile. We're like, what in the world? What does that mean? Y'all follow with me? Uh, you're the National Guard, all right? I'm not going a mile, okay? I'm going to the Walmart. So we got to go back to time, all right? So we got to understand. He asked a soldier, we're talking about Roman soldiers. Y'all following with me? And what was happening is this. Because the hierarchy, like I said, what Jesus did when he came onto this earth, he cleared the playing field. He says, the Pharisees, you think you're this good. The Romans, you think you're this good. Samaritans, you think you're this good. Gentiles, you think you're this good. I just want to let you know you've all sinned. You've all missed the mark. I'm no respecter of persons. Y'all following with me? So here he is saying, even if there is in such a state where the Roman guard would ask a subordinate, someone of a lower status, to go one mile, they would be obligated to go one mile. Y'all following with me? Now, there's no proof of it being in a law back in the day, but, but it was pretty customary they would just go the one mile. Okay? And at that point, they weren't allowed to go anymore, meaning they couldn't force them to go anymore. Y'all following with me? So what he's actually saying is this. When someone takes advantage of you, when someone downgrades you, when you know deep down in their heart, when they're asking you to do a favor, it is simply just for the favor for their benefit, do it. And on top of that, go a little bit more. Go beyond the expectation of them taking advantage of you. Hey, and here's the part that's amazing. Because when I go to the cross, I'm the example of everyone taking advantage of me. That's the part that's amazing. Jesus never taught anything that he was not going to do. Can you imagine him on the Sermon on the Mount teaching these lessons? And like we said, when we go through scriptures, he kept saying, I'm going to the cross. Can you imagine as he's teaching this, that you know he has this going forward, I'm going to be doing it. Isn't that crazy to think about? It's really crazy to think about. So here he's saying, listen, when someone takes advantage of you, go over and beyond. Don't let that to be the reason. Y'all following with me? Hey, we've gone through people not keeping their word, people taking advantage, people doing things that cause you to be bitter towards them. And I might have described three things that happened today in your life. And all you got to do is go out in public. You following with me? This happens all the time. Coworkers, friends, regardless. So we're going to keep going here. That's what he's talking about when he talks about going a mile. Don't think National Guard. Think Roman Guard. Um, Verse number 42. Um, Kyle? Take it away. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the ones who want to borrow from you. Okay, yeah, so this is just talking about... <clears throat> you got to understand here too, Jesus' teaching is not... Hey, just go out in public. Go out in the Walmart. Take all your money out and be like, everyone take advantage of me. Take all my clothes. Just take it all. That's not what he's saying. Y'all following with me? What he is saying is when you are a part of my will, you will encounter people who will be lost because I have called you out of sin for you to be the light into darkness. So when I've called you out of sin to be a light into darkness, along that path of my will, you will experience people who are not saved, who are still in darkness. And here's the part that's amazing. They're going to interact with you. And your interactions back with them are going to demonstrate either me or the world. You follow with me? So he says, when the world goes to take advantage of you, go ahead and let them. You're in my will. Y'all follow with me? When someone asks or in need of something, help them out. You're in my will. You follow with me? We get this mixed up and say, well, well, I'm never going to give my money to anyone. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about going out and just finding everyone and giving them their money. He's saying, no, uh, follow my will and upon that path in your life, you will encounter people who will be in need. Now, following the difference, one of it is relationship-based and one of it is works-based. I can go to Walmart right now and hand $10 bills out all day long. 
but I'll be doing it for my glory. Are you following with me? But I go to Walmart to go get my milk, like I always do, to continue getting food to provide for my family or myself at this time. And as long as I'm going to get that milk, maybe someone comes up that I know or maybe someone I don't know, hey, I'm really struggling right now. Do you have any money? And I might not have money, but guess what I can do? You mind if I pray for you? You know what's amazing? No matter where you come from, people don't really mind if you pray for them. Isn't that crazy? You would think if they didn't serve the God that you serve that they want what you're praying for. Are you following with me? One of it's in line of following what God has for my life. People will come in, and sometimes we go out and seek. He's not saying go out and seek. Y'all following with me? It's a difference. Is that confusing, or does that make sense? Anyone confused? No. Y'all are so quiet tonight. Verse number 43. Um, Nikki, verse number 43. This is my favorite part of the passage. I wanted to get here and spend the most time on this last little section. It's really, really good. Here we go. Take us away, Nikki. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. All right, this is the part that's amazing. So he says, you've heard it of old, and what's the statement of old? Which is amazing because you go back in the law and it was never even mentioned in that fashion whatsoever. But what they ended up saying was this. Well, if God meant for us to love who? All right. Then they said, well, that just means we assume we hate our enemies. So here we go. This is the problem. This part that's really quite amazing because you've got to understand it was Sermon on the Mount, all these people here. Now he's really going to hit this. Is your belief an assumption? Is your belief an assumption? Somebody's saying, James, what are you talking about? If, it's a, if it is an assumption, it's not of God. If it's certainty, it's of God. So here he is saying, you have assumed a new law that you are going to follow. And I'm going to love my neighbor but hate my enemy. Which is quite interesting, right? What it ends up doing is it twists around a little bit of the words that the Old Testament have. Now we need to backtrack and saying, why, why are you mentioning that, James? Where have you twisted Christianity? Where have you really twisted what it means to have a relationship with the Lord? Because in Scripture it says a surrendered life daily. The world says, when I want to, I'll serve the Lord. Y'all following me? I'm twisting it up. We assume things. We assume things. I mean, this is a great example when it comes to God's will. We assume God's will is like going to slap us across the face. Y'all ever notice that? People are like, I'm just waiting for God's will to happen. Do you know what God's will is? Turn away from evil. Obey my voice. And if you're not turning away from evil and not obeying his voice, you're not in his will. And it's not going to slap you across the face. Y'all following with me? Very important to understand. So here we go. So he said, You heard of old, love thy neighbor, hate thy enemy. This part that's really great, verse number 44. You can probably almost hear the crowd gasp at this point, Jack. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Slap us with 44 also, and I'm going to get you to 45 also after. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who Wow, okay, this is really cool. So he says, but I tell you, I have the authority, and what does he say? To do what? To love your enemies. Keep going with that verse. It's really good. That you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the unrighteous and the evil. All right, this is really good. So in verse number 44, so it says, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Okay? So love your enemies, and it says, bless them that do what? Persecute. 
curse you. Okay, this is great. Do good to them that... And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. You know what's amazing? Go back through verses 33 through 42. And what do you all need to speak about? These same things, right? This is part that's quite amazing. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. This word's going to get really difficult. Because I memorized that verse when I was 15 years old. And I don't think I ever practiced it until I was about 21, 22 years old. Okay? I want to break it down really, really quick to you. But I say unto you, love your enemies. What does that mean? Man, everyone got to go to the potty tonight or something. I don't know. <laughs> all right. All right. But this is what it says. But I say unto you, love your enemies. What does that really mean? What does it mean to love your enemy? Forgive. All right. Forgive people. That's very important. So what about forgiving them? Anything else? How do you love your enemy? Don't hold a grudge. Don't hold a grudge. Anything else? Pray for them. Hey, this part that's amazing. You start praying for your enemies every day. Before you know it, they're not your enemies. Before you know it, you understand they don't know any better. But usually when you have an enemy for a long period of time, it's because you don't really pray about them and you technically don't really care about their soul. I'll give you a very, very good example. It's going to be a little bit tough. I was going to try my best to do it. We'll go with... We'll go, we'll go completely theoretical, so that way it's no one in the room. Does that make sense? Completely theoretical. All right, so there's a dad, okay? So the dad has a son, and the son goes out to school. And when he goes to school, there's a bully at the school. The bully at the school keeps cursing at his son, keeps yelling at him, actually hit him across the hand, all these different types of things. He comes back to the, to the dad, and the dad's like, hey, look, you know, what's going on? He said, well, this guy, you know, he keeps beating up on me. He's been mean to me. He says, okay, that's fine, uh, you know, whatsoever. Uh, why, don't you, why don't you go care for him anyway? Why don't you go tell him you love him? Why don't you go tell him you pray for him? And he says, oh, Dad, I mean, I'm going to try my best, but I don't think it's really going to work out. So he goes back to school. The kid does the same thing, except today he starts spitting on him. And today he starts mocking him in front of other people. And then on top of that, what he ends up doing is as the son of the dad is at school, he hears him talking about himself to other friends. It's getting worse and worse. It's like a this train reaction. So the son comes back to the father and he says, listen, dad, I don't know what else to do. I keep loving him. I keep praying for him. And on top of that, I keep giving him my lunch now, my desserts. And he just acts like I'm supposed to do it to him. He acts like I'm supposed to give him his lunch now. And the father says, keep giving him your lunch. So he goes back to school, goes back to the cafeteria. He gets his own food and the guy says, can I have your lunch? He goes, I'm still hungry. I'll go get you. I'll go get you Y'all following with me? Now that bully shows up at the father's house. Okay? He shows up at the father's house. And the father understands who this guy is. And he comes up to him and he says, Listen, I've been a jerk to your son. I've been rebellious to him. I've been mean to him. I've insulted him. I've taken advantage of them. And guess what? Even when I talk to other people, I say what I can get from him. Lunch money, desserts. And you know what the father says? I sent that son for you to keep doing it for you. So then you kind of backtrack. I want you to follow with me. God sent his son to you. And you've taken advantage of him. You spit at him. You persecuted him. You even talked about him to other people. 
guess what? There's a father who sent that son. He's going to love you anyway. Over and over and over again. Are you following with what I'm trying to get at? So then you're trying to say, well, James, what are you getting at? You are never going to win anyone over for the Lord when you act like the world. You following with me? Why did you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And then in turn, how do you treat others? You following with me? But I say unto you, love your enemy. Good example is what Jesus did on the cross. We're going to keep going with the next couple of verses. Verse number 45, Jack, hit it with it, please. 45. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. Sins reign on the righteous and the this is really, this is absolutely really, really astonishing when you think about it. Jesus goes to the cross. I mean, I, I'm sorry, I, I know I go all the way to the cross, but Scripture is just nothing but the cross. I mean, wherever you go, it will be the cross. It will be what Jesus did for you and for me. You go to the cross, and you know what's amazing? The people were proud because they were what? Putting to death Jesus. Hell was rejoicing. And then God says, sunset. Are you following what I'm trying to say? The sun rose that morning because God said it was time to rise. Man jumps up in victory. Hell jumps up in victory. The sun sets. A new day arises. Hell has no victory. God still loves man. Are you following what I'm trying to get at? This part is crazy. If the sun has risen today and you have a ticking heartbeat, the sun has also risen today to your enemies, to your loved ones. Are you following with what I'm trying to get at? You are not here by accident. And if you don't think that what people are doing to you is right, what they did to Jesus was not right either. And guess what? You live in a world where people are going to continue to do the wrong things over and over and over again. That's an example of God's mercy. You're following with what I'm trying to get at here. The sun rises on the good and the evil. So why doesn't God stop evil? Why doesn't he? Are you following what I'm trying to get at? Why doesn't he stop evil? Why doesn't God stop evil things from happening? Because guess what? No matter good, no matter bad, no matter what, God stays on the throne. Satan asks for permission. Are you going to live the defeated life or the more abundant life through Christ? Because thank goodness God doesn't stop every evil thing. Because guess what? It took a billion evil things for me to do to understand what God did for me through Jesus Christ. So when that evil person or that enemy of yours or that friend backstabs you, that's just one more chance that they can understand God's mercy and hopefully accept His grace. That's what I'm trying to get at. Y'all follow with me? That's what it means to love your enemies. Giving them the opportunity to understand that they're still under mercy so they can accept grace. Verse number 45, they rise on the, on the good and the evil. A great example would be Joseph, which you intended for bad, my God, used for good. You following with me? No matter where you're at in your life, if you're in God's will, God can use it for His glory and you're good. But that doesn't mean your circumstances are going to be the best ever. You following with me? Stuff. Verse number 46. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have you? Do even the publicans do the same? If you only hang out with your friends... If you only love your friends, I'm just going to be honest with you. The world loves their friends. What's the difference? Are you following with me? That's where you're getting at. Verse number 47. Um, 
Joshua, my brother. If you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do you even tax? Do, do not even the tax collector, tax collectors do so? Okay, good, good. Man. <laughs> so Jesus here, he's closing up. He's closing up this, these statements, right, on loving your enemies, being a forgiving person. And what he kind of does right here, this is really, really cool, he kind of hits you where you're really at. Does that make sense? So what I'm trying to get at is this, and what Jesus was trying to get at with the people in the crowd, by understanding. What do you do that's different? How can you claim me as your Lord and Savior and your life still look like the world? You can go through all the different statements that he said, talking about this is what you said of old, but this is what I say of you. If I've redeemed you, how do you live? Because a redeemed person doesn't live like the world. So what he does here, which is quite amazing, if you read these verses, one or two things can happen. One, you can be scared to close your eyes tonight because you might, not, you might realize you don't have a relationship with the Lord. If you go through these scriptures and realize, man, I actually don't do any of these things. I struggle with absolutely every single one of these. Or two, you can have assurance of salvation and understand that, guess what? Through my relationship with Christ, this isn't that difficult to give up. Are you following what I'm trying to say? It's either assurance or it's fear. Every time when you read Scripture, conviction is either fear or assurance. Y'all following with me? Here we go. Final verses, verse number 48. And this part that's quite amazing, they've gone through all these statements, and I love this because it even hits the goody two-shoes in church who's grown up in church from two years old to, to 22 years old and have just sit in church and have sat through this whole message and said, none of this pertains to me. And if you think I'm crazy... Have you not heard a message and said, well, that was good, but it didn't pertain to me. And it will not change anything about my life. In verse number 48, it closes out by saying, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. As Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, He's gone through all these different types of steps. And like we said, there was probably a time whenever the women were like, yes, this is great. I hope my husband's hearing this. I'll wait till y'all put up the Bibles because I'll close out. It's kind of too good. How rude. No, no, no. It's not rude. It's not rude at all. Listen. This part is really cool. So he's doing this Sermon on the Mount. He's going through these different statements. And I'm, I'm going to say, this is so real. This is so real. He's gone over there and he talks about women when he talks about marriage. And I'm sure the women in the crowd are like, let's go. I hope my husband's hearing it. Okay. You might be saying, James, is that crazy? Have you ever heard a message about either the husband or the wives, and all of a sudden it's like one group saying amen, and one person's nodding their head, and it's either the women or the men? Keep on listening. Okay, so he's hearing a message and saying, man, I hope he's hearing it. I hope he's getting it. And then they start talking about oaths and breaking oaths and not forgiving, and then they start talking about the people in the church that they're bitter towards, or the people that just don't view the same way that they, they view as you. And you're sitting there saying, I hope they get it. I hope they understand. I hope they finally get an awakening and see like I see. Are you following what I'm trying to get at? And at the end of the statements, as he goes through all of it, he goes, hey, but guess what? If you believe you followed all of it, why don't you be perfect just like God? The final statement I'm going to ask is this. When you talk about your Christian life, do you act like God when speaking with other people? I'm saying, James, what are you talking about? Jolie hit it good when she talked about judging people. Do you act like God 
when you have a relationship with Christ and view everything that other people are doing and hope they're listening and hope they change. Are y'all following what I'm trying to get at? You weren't called to be God. You were called to be Christ's light. Y'all following with me? And Christ, when He came to this earth, took the form of a what? Servant. God does the judging. You do the loving. Y'all following with me? It's really, really cool. We'll close out there. Nick, can you choose someone to pray?